Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Thanks for tuning in. If you need more information, just go to jentaylor.net, where I have everything at your disposal from what it's like to live as a mom to 13 kids to my podcast, public speaking, coaching, or purchasing my book. All in one place, jentaylor.net, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Today, I have with me a very special guest. I have Anne-Marie Graham. Anne-Marie, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today, Jen? I'm fantastic. Also, so that's great. We had a couple technical difficulties, but we got uh, everything going. And uh, uh, so now we're going to go ahead and get started. You're from Jamaica. Yes, I'm from that beautiful island of Jamaica. <laughs> I have yet to go, but I've heard it's beautiful. Where are you living right now? I'm actually still living in Jamaica, but I've been traveling quite a lot these past few months. You know, I'm really trying to get my message out there. I was just saying to somebody today, I feel like we're all, you know, we're born a certain place, but where we're born aren't necessarily the people who are called to inspire. And so while living in that place, you got to be intentional and you got to motivate the people that are there. But at some point in your life, you got to be willing to venture outside of the boat and step forward and really motivate those people who you think you're called to motivate. Which is scary. You've been through a few scary times. <laughs> I'm going to dive in there because I, I've never been to Jamaica, so it's very foreign to me. But you grew up similarly to a lot of people that I have here on the podcast where it was challenging and unsettling our words. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Okay. Well, I like to start even before I was born. You see, my, my, my father left my mother before I was even born. And so I like to tell people, before I was born, I was programmed to fail mentally, emotionally, Physically, in every single way. I was born in a one-board house. We had no dripping water. There was no utility. I was born without a midwife. You know, coming up, I, you know, I didn't feel loved by my mother, so to speak. But at that point, I didn't know that she actually loved me. But it's the case where she couldn't give me the love because she never got the love from her parents. So growing up, life was abusive. It was hard. It was like an emotional roller coaster, and um, it was very difficult. But I think it also shaped me to become the person I'm called to be today. Absolutely. And there now, you said your dad was gone, but there was an ish. There was a, an event that happened with Kentucky Fried Chicken and your dad. Oh yes. So I was I was in primary school and. Um, you know, I saw this man, he came to the door and um, he was, he had a Kentucky Fried Chicken bag in his hand. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm hungry. I wish that man was my father. And the next thing I know, the teacher went to the door and he had a conversation with this gentleman. 
the teacher came back inside and said, Harry, someone is here to see you. I went outside, and this one is my dad. And I'm like, oh, my God. And at first, I wasn't thinking that, you know, he was missing an action. I was just so happy to get some chicken to eat. And, um, you know, that was my first um, experience that I remember about my father. And I think it's sad due to the fact that I was so old and just meeting him for the first time. How did that relationship progress? How has it progressed? Um, you know, right from high school, I, I did fairly well in high school, and he tried to come around a few times, you know, telling everyone he's proud of his daughter. But that connection wasn't there very much, especially in the area where, you know, for finances, he never wanted to let go of the money to take care of me, so it was still a struggle. I think the bond started to improve after I got married and, you know, stuff went down. He started coming around and, you know, we would always have lunch together. But even in the midst of that, it's like another drama came on board again. So Tell me about that. I know a little bit about that. You married at 18, which is so young, so young. I know because I married at 19. Same, very similar paths. Yes. So... But it felt good. It felt wonderful. You know, it felt wonderful while I was dating because I grew up very sheltered. You know, I wasn't allowed to date. I wasn't allowed to go do anything, really. So here I was, about to graduate from high school. This guy came up to me. Can I come to your graduation? My mom is fine with it. And before you know it, he starts taking me on dates. And, you know, he actually said, I want to marry you. You know, I want to marry you because I love you. And quite a lot of people warn me, do not get married to him because he doesn't love you. But I'm young and I'm immature and I'm blinded by love and I can't really see. And so I dive right in. And I got my wake-up call, to be honest, after I went to the church that day, got married, and I was walking up to the reception hall, I heard his uncle telling another lady, it's a pity that this young girl is not married to this boy. If she was my daughter, she could have never ever gotten married to him today. And that was the first time I realized that I made a mistake. And then you're married already. I'm married already. You can't turn back. And and also I, I know from hearing about reading about your story that you know you're committed to that and you want to feel that love and have that connection with someone else so it, it only lasted about a year and tell me about that year is that correct okay so it lasted five months to be exact we didn't start filing for the divorce until after the year but we moved in together we moved into our own house and everything seemed perfect like from a financial standpoint but going into the relationship, this is when you're realizing that you're not loved because you're waking up with this person every day. You're talking to this person every day. And this person is not even trying to find out your language of love to love you the way that you want to be loved. It's all about them. It's all about what they want. And I was, I was miserable. And it was in that moment in time, I started, my heart started yearning for more. And I was like, 
one day I'm gonna travel the world and inspire people. One day I'm gonna go to Africa. And in those moments, he would say, you have to choose. It's either me or to inspire people because no life of mine is going to ever do that. Those dreams are not for a married woman. And so you can see there was a level of control and manipulation in the relationship as well. I guess, yeah, absolutely. And you eventually, you left. Um, I left and um, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because I didn't really plan to leave. You know, I, I think it kind of just happened. We had an argument and I got this little thing in my head. I'm going to go to my mother's house for a week to see if he misses me. And I'm thinking he's going to run, come for me and be like, come back home, sweetheart, you know? I'm going to make it right this time. But actually, that's what he wanted. Because he told me before I left the house, Henry, to be honest, I didn't love you. From the first day I saw you, there was just this light on you. You had this great personality, and I just wanted to be with that, but I'm not in love with you. But still yet, I'm believing he's going to return. And I remember going to my mother's house that week. You know, we had a fight. He physically abused me, and um, you know, I remember calling my brother up and saying to my brother, listen, you got to come, and you got to get my stuff. You know, I just want to take all the pictures out of the house. And in my childish brain, I'm thinking, by me taking away the wedding pictures, that will make him feel something. It was the opposite because he never came. He never came back until like two years later. He was begging me to take him back. Two years? Two years. Two years. When the divorce was almost completed, he came begging me to take him back. And if it wasn't for country, if I had just gone back at that point in time, like the entire divorce would have been annulled. Like, uh, we would have to start all over again. And I didn't want to risk that either, so I just said no. I want to talk a little bit about, first, that was pretty courageous. And it you you were childish because you were so young. That's There's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. <laughs> But but a lot of courage still, especially from someone who didn't feel loved growing up and wanted that and then just got told the same thing. And I want to discuss with you how that you, you felt shame and depression. And then this dream you had felt like it wasn't going to happen. And I want to talk quite a bit. I want to talk about that with some brutal honesty because I know that it continued even though you had some great moments, it continued over a few years to create other issues. Can we go into that a little bit? Um, exactly. So after after that divorce, or while I was filing for that divorce, I was actually grieving. I was actually still broken, you know? I mean, I would go to work and I would hope that you would come back for me. Because this thing about getting divorced, I thought divorce was one of the worst thing in the world. You know, I taught that this is something when this happened to you, you can't really pick your life back up. Because I've heard stories about women who got divorced and pretty much wrecked their entire life because they thought that was the end of their story. And um, I felt extreme shame about that divorce. And I remember going to this um, dance, first time going to a dance. 
and saw this grand opportunity or that looked like a grand opportunity because I'm always wanting to get on television. But this was to be a part of a reality television show called, you know, Teacher's Pet, something similar to The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And I went on that show, I didn't tell anybody that I was married before because I wasn't even divorced. And this guy that, you know, was the star of the show, he was like the number one dancehall artist in the country. And he is everything that I'm against, everything that I was raised to be against. You know, the lyrics, downgraded women, everything like that. But here I was on the show because I'm telling myself, you know what? I've been good all my life and it didn't pay off. So now I'm going to be bad. And I'm not going to be bad and keep it to myself. I want the whole world to know. And, you know, Jen, I have this for the time saying that if I'm going to be a dog, the whole world is going to know that I'm a dog. But it's not just going to be me because I don't have time to really protect. And I went on the show, and it was not on the show. You know, girls, they were getting naked, taking off their clothes, dancing in the pool. And I remember feeling such disdain in my heart for the first day. I will never do this. These girls were this. And, and you know what? I think about the third day of being on that show. One day I just get absolutely drunk. And some of the girls, they challenge me. You don't belong here. You are a granny. If you go out there, take your clothes off, skin and dip into the water. And I did that. And I didn't even know that it was me video. And here I was, they pieced my work together where I said I was against it to where I'm doing it. And um, the star for the show came to me and said to me, Henry, you do not belong here. He said, your body's in the house, but your mind is not here. You're a good girl. You're a wife material. But most importantly, you're a child. Go back home to your mother. I'm sending you home today. And I went to Montego Bay, back to Montego Bay, because the show was being filmed in Kingston. And one day in particular, I was passing the church. I heard the noise. I went up there. I didn't know anybody at this church. This pastor was there. And I went to the back of the church, and the pastor said, you were the back. You were married. But God said, that man wasn't your true husband. God has a great plan for you. You're going to travel the world. You are a mighty woman of God. One day, you're going to marry a man that's a world traveler. You're going to have a business, and you're going to do great things. I'm there thinking, this pastor is such a liar. God don't have those plans for me. I ain't poor. I've been divorced. I've been on that show. I've done some pretty bad things in my life. But you know what? Something in my heart said, just believe. And I walked up there to that altar in the church, and I surrendered it all to God. That was summer of 2012, and I just told myself, I'm going to give it a try. I am not going to give church a try this time. I am not going to give religion a try. I'm going to give Jesus a try. And it's all about relationship and intimacy, and that's exactly what I did. And it's been tough, you know, going forward. It, things didn't get easier. Things got worse. But eventually, things started to smooth out. So how did that help you with your depression? Because the depression was pretty bad when you write about it. Yeah. 
Um, the depression was pretty bad, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I would have to say this was like uh, a miracle somewhat. The depression left, but the anxiety stayed. Okay, so that's kind of, I want to make some sort of segue. So your depression eased up, but the, that anxiety, that that was what was really plaguing you. Tell that, me tell me about that. What what was the anxiety like for you? Okay, the, the anxiety for me was like, uh, always feeling like, uh, you know, I'm an astronaut, I'm on a wheel, I'm, and I'm always going. I can't, I can't be still. Like, I just got to do something. I got to do something to feel treasured i gotta be working and so i was working six days a week um i was going to i started back to college i was going there and i was doing all these things and um some days i remember you know going to work and i would be so exhausted i was tired i felt very lightheaded i was walking in a in a strip in a, in a business street somewhere and it's almost as if i was going to faint i was having Racing heart, palpitations, my hands were sweaty. And change started to come in 2014. I remember, but 2013, let me backtrack a bit. My hero, my grandfather, he died. He was my world. And when he died, things got worse in 2013. I started to see blood in my stool constantly. Doctors thought I had ulcerative colitis. They did the test. There was not, nothing, but I was still constantly bleeding. And so I just started to, you know, feel sick every single day. On top of that, my anxiety got worse. But in 2014, I felt in my heart like I needed to resign from my job and go into full-time ministry. And I wrote the manager for my dead workplace and I said to him, listen, I'm going to leave this job, I'm going to travel the world, I'm going to preach the gospel, I'm going to inspire people. Everyone thought I was crazy, Jen, but they, they, you know, they had a really nice party for me and everything. And it was me just letting go, not working so hard, just taking out a lot of time for myself, that things started to improve somewhat. But I always realized that whenever a crisis struck, this black elephant in the room would just show up again and um and so it's something that i deal with but not to the point where i'm not as racing hard or i feel like i can't walk all those symptoms went away and to be honest i think it happened because i started having a lot of people in my corner who showed me love and support and people who didn't judge me and I got a coach and she worked she worked with me for quite a quite a while you know and she she was like a, a person of great impact to me during that time you also uh went into biblical studies was that that was while you were still working correct yeah that is while i was still working i was going to the bible college and um because at that point in time i taught listen if God is calling me to inspire people, that means I got to pastor a church. And that, that means I got to get some, you know, college education in that realm. But after going to Bible college and learning so much, it was a good school that I went to because they didn't teach religion once more. They taught leadership. 
And they taught the Bible in such a way that says, listen, you all have a purpose, and your mission in life is to find that purpose. Not everybody is called to be a pastor or a teacher. Find what you're called to do and rock that spare and do it well. So that was, you know, that made a tremendous impact in my life. Not only that, but you had the coach at that time also, correct? Bradley. I had the coach at that time as well. Well, not when I just started Bible school, but towards the end of Bible school. And I think everybody should have a coach. I'm a coach, and I think everybody, not because I'm a coach. I mean, I have a coach. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't know how you do it without having a coach. So that helps a lot. And then, exactly. and then you kind of, so that's really interesting that the Bible school was teaching you leadership. How great was that? Because you can go in so many different directions. So that kind of fills in some of the gaps for me, question-wise, but my listeners don't know. Uh, so then you started, you volunteered as a motivational speaker. How, how did that segue in? How did that happen? Well, you see, there's, there's a tremendous thing um, with YouTube and um, Facebook. People don't know what power, you know, social media has, but they have a lot of power. And um, even to spill the beans a little, like... Uh, I had people that just leave my job going to full-time ministry who come and say, listen, you're such an inspiration, and I want to support you on this journey. And I was like, what? <laughs> At first, I was like, these people have ulterior motives because I'm not used to getting stuff from anybody. But that was how the, um, the motivational speaking job with that foundation came about. Some young man from the island saw me. He said, wow, I'm working in this foundation. I think you would be tremendous. And uh, I went for a meeting at the foundation's office, you know, the owner for the place immediately, you know, he liked me and so on. And I don't know, they just opened a lot of great doors for me that I will forever be thankful for. And is it interesting that you get love in different ways? Yes. <laughs> you don't have to get married to feel the love. <laughs> so you traveled around, you're, you're speaking to young people in schools pretty much everywhere. I mean, everywhere, TV. Um, and that became a passion of yours. And you're right. I mean, that's how I found you on Facebook. I don't even remember the first connection, but it was a video and I thought, Girl, we gotta get together, and we did. I mean, yes, we connected and started talking. I really, really wanted to know your story, and uh, it was every one of us who's been through really difficult times, especially growing up, can turn around. If we're not perpetuating that cycle, then we want to turn around and help, and that's exactly yes. what you did. So your story was featured. What's the gleaner? Um. The Gleaner would be like the New York Times of Jamaica. Okay. Like That's it's a major newspaper. And even that, Jen, like, I don't know, opportunities are always coming after me. Somebody messaged me and be like, I think your story would be perfect for the Gleaner. I'm going to give you the latest number right now, and she's going to call you. She called me, and um, I'm in. When did the website jump in? Um, the website actually jumped in, and I like to tell people, I'm crazy. I'm a crazy person. I don't really follow the books. I really follow the rhythm that's in my heart, because 
And it's not that I'm impulsive because, you know, some things I just don't do. Not anymore. I used to be very impulsive. But sometimes I just have this great knowing when to do something. And I know how to come up with a strategy. Because something may look simple to the outside world. Something may look, you know, you may have this intuition. Go do this. Go do that. And it doesn't make any sense right now, but over time it will. And so before I went into full-time ministry, I had this little intuition that I need to write about my story from my childhood coming up. And I wrote about it in the rawest way that I could. I felt it. You know, I was like, God, please don't let my mother read this because, you know, my mother and I, we have a strict relationship. And I wrote that, um, I wrote my story. I made the website in, back in 2014, and I put everything up so that people could, you know, get an idea of who I am and what I'm about and my visions and my goals. It's pretty incredible. So now, that was three years ago, and you have started to travel. Tell me about how much you've traveled. Okay, well, I have some places that I would like to go for um, this year. I like to believe that I'm just starting. I started traveling on February this year, and so far I've been here, I think I've been to Ohio, I've been to New York, I've been to Kentucky, I went back home, I came back for a conference, I spoke at a church last week, I have another conference in October. Some minor mishap, you know, happened though. And, and I don't know if you saw my Facebook, but something happened with my brother recently back in Jamaica, like he, he got murdered. But, uh, you know, like, uh, my aim and my mission now is to just continue to press forward. One of my biggest places I would like to go, and it's always been the first on my list, so I want to go to Africa. And, um, you know, and I would really love to go to every state in this great country and speak. And, you know, it's my passion and it's something that I want to do. And, um, you know, I'm praying that at the right moment, like the right doors will be open. Which they have been for you so far. Um, now, also, last October, your mom had a stroke, correct? Yes. So it's not like you grow up and suddenly the hardship is over. There's all kinds of things that are happening. I mean, murder, stroke, divorce. And yes. you don't have control over all of that. So how has your perception changed with the anxiety and the depression? And how did you clear up the ulcerative colitis? Um, tell, tell me about that. Okay. Um, well, in 2016, I met a brother at church, and he was like, anyway, you know, you shouldn't be suffering so much. You know, you're a child of God. You need to increase your faith. And I'm like, what is this man talking about? I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith because I've survived, you know, so many things. And he kept on saying to me, listen to me, Henry. You need to take in faith every single day. Don't be caught up in reading the entire Bible. Just find those scripture that matches your situation and dwell on them. And I, so I started finding scriptures about cheapers and oils and emeralds because I had that favorite problem. And I just dwelled on it every single day. 
And then I noticed I saw the blood today. I wouldn't see it until a week later. And I was like, wow, I'm seeing this thing every day. This is a major improvement. And I'm going to take the like supplements before, and I've tried some medication that doctors gave me in the past, but nothing ever worked. And what I realized now is that I would see blood this week, don't see it again until a week later, until I saw it like a month. And I think it's been like about five months now since I haven't seen anything. My stomach has been completely restored. Um, that's how I feel. And um, with my mom's strokes, that happened, that was a devastating time. And I think that somewhat prepared me for my brother's death now. Because I think that was, even though my grandfather died earlier on, you know, it was expected because he was older. But I think my mother having a stroke really put me face to face with the possibility that, listen, somebody can be taken away from you, even if they're not old. And that's scary. How did you repair the relationship with your mom you talk in in one of the things that i read you talk about seasonal love and not knowing how to love tell me how you rectify the relationship with your mom well the first thing i had to tell myself and the first thing i had to acknowledge was that my mother did not know how to love me the way that i want to be loved my mother will love me the way that she you love growing up, which may not necessarily be love, I don't be the judge of that. But for her, loving somebody was sending them to school, as well as you know, making sure they don't do wrong. So even if that means telling them that they're ugly and they're worthless, and I think it's just the culture of her country. A lot of children will experience love like that. And there's nothing wrong with experiencing or showing love like that when you're coming from a place with no utilities. <laughs> uh, when I grew up well below poverty level, I completely understand. But when you're coming from that place, sending a child to school, is it, that's a huge way to show love, but not necessarily the way a child wants to be loved. Yes. And I think one of the biggest things that I've had to overcome with my mom was that I blamed my anxiety on her a lot. I blamed her, you know, like saying she's the reason why I had anxiety. Because I was like, if she didn't love me, you know, if she didn't care for me, children who do not receive that emotional support when they're young, they tend to have cognitive problems and I'm learning, studying this, studying that. But, you know, I got to a place where I had to learn to let those things go. And, and kind of, well, I imagine with your dad, too, after being absent so long, to have those relationships, you kind of have to accept them on the level that they're willing to give it to you. And if you want more, you need to get it from other sources. Because, exactly. Because they're limited. Exactly. And I tell you this. I tell you this, Jen. Um, my father, after I started destroying that relationship with him, and I don't know if it's like a cycle, I was just saying to myself, at that same time, my father was shot, and he almost died. And my little brother, who's his son, got shot as well. And even like this week, I was saying to myself, my God, like that entire family right there, you know, I'm the only one who is not involved in, you know, like getting messed up. And 
I've had to really, really just say, you know, what? Daddy can give me this, but you can't give me more. But God sent a great pastor in my life. He's been like a father to me. He encourages me, he supports me, and um, I think that's the best thing I ever had to what a figure of the dad should be like. I love that. It, and it doesn't, you can't choose, you don't necessarily choose your family, mm-hmm. but you can choose to get that same love from your family, yes. from, from other people. I think everyone should be adopted. <laughs> we just all need yeah. to adopt each other. We're <laughs> doing a great job with that. <laughs> so now your focus is mostly on young people. Um, my focus is mostly on young people and also anyone who is in poverty that they cannot rise above. Well, that's huge. I mean, that's everywhere. And yeah. that's and who I, I mean, I imagine when you're talking to people, you're giving that guidance and that direction in the way that they need it based on trials. I've noticed that we can go through different struggles but have the same feelings. Yes. And we still need the same guidance and support. That's true. So tell me some of the great things that have happened as you've started to do your speaking and church. And let me know about that. Okay, like some of the positive outcomes of me speaking? Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to share the story about this girl. You know, she came. I had a little shop in the city, but she came there. We were having a workshop. And she wanted to go back to college, and she didn't have the money, and nothing. And here I am at the workshop, and it's a vision board workshop, and I'm telling her, your dreams are possible. And you don't necessarily have to know how you're going to do everything, you just got to know that you are going to do it. Because one of the first steps in really getting to the place where we want to go in life, we have to make a decision. So we make the decision and we have to have a burning desire. Don't just say you want to go to um, Jamaica. What do you want to go to Jamaica for? Don't just say you want to go to the Bahamas. What do you want to go there for? Tell yourself it is going to happen. Believe it. Don't doubt in your heart. And also, we got to learn to change our mindset and we got to change the words that's coming out of our mouth. Because whether we want to believe it or not, our words and our thoughts are attracted to the things that we don't want. And they can also attract the things that we want. And so I say to her, you want college? You can get college. And at first, I worked with her for a few months. It was difficult. But eventually, she got it. She called me one day. Everybody can bring a board to college. I'm going to college. I'm like, no, no, no. You know, I didn't even want her to like college and pay for it. But she told me her aunt is going to help her. Her aunt is always there. Why didn't her aunt help her before? Because she wasn't putting that energy out. She didn't want that for herself. So that's my great story. I've had people whose marriage has been restored because of coming to my workshop. I've had people, but mostly people who know what they're supposed to do, are afraid to do it, and I just go there as a boost, and then they step out and say they do what they're about to do. I love one of the things that you say, I'm going to quote you, it says, you say, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate, but that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. Mm -hmm. 
And so is that, how much of that is your platform now? Okay. Um, it is a belief. Um, I got that from Marion Williamson. Mm -hmm. yep. people, a lot of people are afraid of success. They think they are afraid that you know, they're in darkness, but really, truly, they're afraid of really stepping out there and becoming all that they're called to be. And I have to remind myself daily, you know what, Emily, as you're going into the light, as you step out of darkness and you're going into the light, there's going to come a point where you have to go into a greater light. And some of the people who you're here with today, you're not going to be, they're not going to be there with me tomorrow. And it's not that you're bad, it's not that you're bad, but sometimes you just got to let them go because their purpose in your story has ended. And you just got to go on with the memories. You can still talk to them, of course, but sometimes I believe you have to let go of whatever darkness, being a person who is negative and toxic or an emotional baggage, like there, whatever, you just got to let it go. What do you feel like is in the future for you? Other than traveling, I know traveling, I know Africa. <laughs> yes. What is in the future for me? Um, definitely, I want to continue traveling the world, and um, you know that is important. But to be very honest, since you asked that question, I think one of the greatest desires of my heart is to be married. I believe in family, and uh, I believe that family is the first institution. And I believe that when people are receiving the love, especially intimate love from a partner. Now, I know that some people don't want to be in that relationship, and that's fine. But my belief is that people can try so much better when they're two and not just one. And so my greatest desire right now, marry, do some babies, and um, continue traveling. <laughs> Look at you smiling. Uh, nobody can see it except me, but this girl, she's giggling. There's some blushing going on. <laughs> and how... How easy is it or how difficult is it for you to let go and let those people in? Um, I'm going to say at first it was very hard and I like to be naked and transparent when I'm talking to people. And so um, I'm going to say that uh, I'm, I'm dating someone, someone that I dated, I'm not going to say who, but I realized that sometimes I struggle. I still have this thoughts in my mind. Oh, one day this person is going to go because I always have people leaving me. So I think as I mature and I get deeper in love and in a relationship, I have to get to the place where I'm like, I'm not going to allow any mistakes from the past to hold me back, to really open up. Because I think that's how you really experience true love. If you're not willing to open up, then you can't receive all the love that's coming to you. All right. So you got to let go of some of that baggage then. Yes. <laughs> well, that takes time. And I think it's important for people to realize just because you hit this point in your life doesn't mean you're done. It's a daily, it's a, it's a daily thing. And that's why I think you keep being a coach and you keep having a coach. You need all of that support in your life. What yes. what words of advice would you give to people out there who are struggling right now? Let's let's end on that. How about that? Okay. Um, I want to give 
a word of advice to those people who are struggling, whether you are in a limited situation because you're holding on to limited beliefs. I want you to know, first of all, that your dreams are possible. And I would encourage you to, you know, to get with a coach. I think it's so very important. Sometimes we can do some things on our own, but I think having that extra pusher, that mentor can make the world a difference. So get a coach, have that person mentor you. Believe in yourself. And I think one of the first things you want to work on, or we all need to work on, is our identity, knowing who we are. Because unless we know who we are, we can't know where we're going to go in the future, and we can't receive all the good things that's coming to us. In addition to that, never let go. Never let go of hope. Never let go of your dreams, because it is possible for you to rise up from the dust to life and purpose. And that's a big that's a big thing that you share with people is the importance of finding purpose and having a vision for your life. And so through coaching and learning, that's that's basically how you did it, correct? Yes. And um, I love that. Now tell us the easiest way to find you, Henry. Okay, so the easiest way to find me is through my website. It's www.upfromthedust.org. That's www.upfromthedust.org. Or you may just Google me. I think that's an easy way. Henry Graham and put Jamaica next to it. I'm the other one that will come up. That's right. And, and upfromthedust.org is an amazing website. I have all the information in my links. And so people will be able to find you through me also. And I so appreciate you being on and sharing your purpose and your vision. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Great interview. It was super fun for me, for sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.